Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? And when you pull it out, would you just stand with me briefly just for the reading of God's Word? We just want to read our text, and it's a way that we can honor God's Word by just standing for it. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to kind of just jump right into it there in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Corinth, Therefore, since we have this ministry, this passage is talking about ministry, and the word ministry means service, okay? So, so to minister to someone means to serve them. Ministry is essentially serving God by serving people. And we have to understand that as we're talking about ministry this morning, I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm not just talking about people that lead up front on, from a platform. Um, but I'm talking about each and every one of us. And this is a game changer. If you would just pause there. I have to tie my shoe. This is going to stress me out. The... <laughs> if I can get someone to serve. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was going to stress me out like the next 45 minutes. I'm like, let's just get it done with, right? We're all called to the ministry, each and every one of us. It doesn't matter how young you are here this morning or how old you are. We're all called. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are, not you can be, you are a minister. If you call Calvary your church home, like we're in ministry together. This isn't, again, just about leaders and pastors and elders and deacons, although it does apply to us. But it's talking about all of us together because, again, we believe that everyone is involved in ministry by serving God and serving his people. And ministry and service, I should say, involves sacrifice. So it's giving of yourselves for the benefit of someone else. Whether that's even praying for someone, going out of your way to encourage someone or give to someone. It's all service. It's all ministry. I think of Jesus' words in Mark 10, 45, where he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? To sacrifice, to, to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So that's what it means to, to serve, to, to minister, is to, to be for the welfare and the benefit of others, to sacrifice. And we're all called, here in verse 1, to ministry. Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as, he says, we have received mercy. So again, right out the gate, we see that ministry is based solely by the mercy that we've received from the Lord. You know, last week we talked about transformation in our lives, right? That sanctification process and how in and of ourselves we're inadequate, but we need to allow God to change our hearts as we kind of behold Christ. And and what we learned is that true heart change that we all long for. Life change is a work that only God alone can do by the power of his Holy Spirit. We can't change our hearts. Only God can. And the same goes for ministry. Ministry is Christ's work. It's not our work. It's Christ's work in and through us. So he goes on. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, he says this, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. So that's the goal of this passage. Paul's feeling weak, no doubt. He's maybe frustrated. He's discouraged. Maybe the Corinthians are weak, and throughout this letter, time and time again, he's calling them to embrace weakness so that they can experience God's strength. And because all ministry is Christ's work, he's saying, guys, we can keep going. Even in the hardships, don't give up. We can take heart because this is God's work in and through you by his son, Jesus Christ. It's God's work. And here's the reality this morning, though, is that ministry, serving others, can be discouraging. It can be super discouraging. You know, you might be here, and you might be, like, trying to disciple someone. Maybe you've been mentoring someone for, for a couple of years, and you just feel like you're not getting anywhere. You're just like, man, they just keep making the same mistakes and the, the stupid choice after choice after choice. And it's just discouraging, or maybe, you know, some of you, you're trying to help others and you're trying to, maybe you're serving in very practical ways. Maybe yesterday you moved someone, right? You used your truck, your fuel, everything. You're just trying to be a blessing and they're just ungrateful, right? And they're just like, like, could you be a little faster? And you're like, please, it's Saturday. Like, come on. Like, you know, like, like, we, like we have those times where we're trying to serve others, but it can be discouraging. You know, Pastor Doug always said that sheep bite. Have you ever heard that? Sheep have teeth. We're all sheep, by the way. You're like, sheep, shepherd, what? <laughs> Bible likens us to the sheep, all right? I've heard it said that ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. <laughs> you know, we laugh at that. And we say it tongue-in-cheek quite a bit. But ministry, can I just say this, is hard because of people? It is hard. I, and I'm people. <laughs> I make ministry hard. And there's a good chance that the believers in Corinth, they're accusing the Apostle Paul of having lackluster results in the ministry. Like, Paul, what are you doing? Like, they're questioning his methods, just his motives. Uh, They maybe had unmet expectations by the Apostle Paul. Like, Paul, you should really do more of this style ministry, or you should do less of that. But Paul just says, "Hey, hey, this is a ministry. We're called to the ministry, not by our own will, not by our own efforts, not by our own goodness. Paul opens every letter like, hey, I'm an apostle, right, of God by Christ. Christ Jesus, like this is his work that he's called me to. I didn't think of it on my own, though this is God's calling on my life. And because of that, he says, we don't lose heart. 
Right? We don't lose heart. I think of what he wrote to the Galatians. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So Paul says again, we don't lose heart. Doesn't matter what we're going through. Doesn't matter how hard and discouraging and difficult that you might be, like a situation you might be in, a season of life you might be in. God's word to you is don't lose heart. If he's called you to it, he's going to lead you through it. That's his work. And so Paul here in verse 2, he's now defending, he's continuing to defend the ministry. And even in maybe his approach to ministry, and he says this in verse 2, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, the church in Corinth was probably accusing the Apostle Paul of this. And so once again, we find him defending himself, and in doing so, he gives us a picture here of what ministry should not be. Did you notice that? He talks about things hidden because of shame, as if maybe you're hiding something. He talks about walking in craftiness. This is the kind of deception where you act one way in public, and then you act a different way in private. You say one thing in front of everyone else, telling them to do one thing, but then you do something else entirely different. And so right out the gate, Paul defends his ministry to the, the Corinthians. And he's saying what it wasn't. And he talks here about, if you're taking notes, religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. You know, for, we see far too often now church, churches having been plagued by financial scandals. I'm sure many of you are aware. Um, you, you see churches and pastors falling to sexual sin. You see the corruption of power, unfortunately. There's popular documentaries right now on Hulu, on Netflix, kind of showcasing the abuse of power in popular churches around the world. But can I just say this, that what Paul is addressing is not just with big mega churches and celebrity pastors. You know how I can know that? There wasn't big megachurches and celebrity pastors in his day. This happens. This kind of abuse and this kind of um, religious hypocrisy happens in small churches, local churches. Many of you, again, you've been at these churches where, where just the, the impact of religious hypocrisy was devastating to you. And you're no longer there because of it. And now you're feeling hurt. And you're like, you kind of have trust issues with, with the next church. But we remember, again, we're not just talking about pastors here. So not only are we not talking about just megachurch pastors, celebrity pastors, nor are we just, just talking about local pastors, but again, we're talking about everyday followers of Jesus because we're all called to the ministry. And so it's just, can I just say this, it's just as devastating when we as everyday followers of Jesus, we go to church on Sundays and then we live like the world the rest of the week. Right? We talk like the world, we act like the world, we respond like the world, we think like the world, and maybe you know, we come back from time to time for forgiveness, but we don't represent Christ in the way that we live our lives. And again, the impact of that living is devastating to those around us. Now, when it comes to religious hypocrisy, can I just say this? It's not a new thing. <laughs> it's not a new thing at all. There, there's always been religious hypocrites, and God has always confronted them. I want to give you just an example briefly from the Old Testament, from Amos 5. It says this, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. 
I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. God is saying, you, you come and you, you come to church and you sing these songs and you, you give of your money and your tithe and offerings and you do all of these religious activities, all the things that you think you're supposed to do. But he says, you're hypocrites. Like you say one thing, but you do another. Remember how he likened the, 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 the Pharisees in the New Testament, Jesus? He called them whitewashed tombs. Like you honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. Like the external looks impressive, but you're filled with dead man's bones. You're hypocrites. You're pointing one day to God's word, but then at the same time, you're picking and choosing what parts you want to follow, what parts are convenient. And he says, I don't want any of it from you. I'm not listening to your songs. Close the doors. Wrap it all up. I'm not accepting offerings. I'm not listening to your prayers. God calls them out. You know why? Because God is not okay with religious hypocrisy. He's never been okay with religious hypocrisy. But can I just ask us this morning? We're like, yeah, religious hypocrisy and them. But what is our response to this? What is our response Because I see, can I just be honest? I see religious hypocrisy in the church, and I'm like, man, I want we got to call this out. This is, this is not acceptable, man. This is not good, right? But while there is, can I just say, while there is time and place, and we need to point out where there's sin, where there's error, and we've talked about that time and time again in First and Second Corinthians, Jesus gave us that pattern, right, in Matthew 18, of how to, um, how to follow, that process to follow when someone's in sin, right? So yes, there's a time and place, but I believe God is God's heart for us, number one, before we start finger pointing, is to search our own hearts first. Lord, would you search me and know me? If there's sin in your life, confess the sin in our lives. To acknowledge that, that we too have said things and done completely different things. That we too have acted a certain way around certain people and acted a different way around other people. Listen, I be, it all begins with confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. You see, it's not as if there's hypocrites in this room this morning and then there's perfect people, okay? No, this room, myself included, is a room filled with hypocrites. I'm sorry if that offends you. There's hypocrites that lie and they try to cover it up. They cover their sin up. And then there's hypocrites that are just honest, right? They're like, they struggle in sin. They acknowledge it. They confess it. They repent, seek change, seek healing, and so it's not, and not the, the call is not, hey, be a hypocrite or be perfect. No, no, no. The call for all of us is to be a people who are constantly coming back to the foot of the cross saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. Not the other guy. Like, God, God I thank you that I'm not like this other guy, if you know the, if you know the, the gospel reference. This dirty, rotten sinner. Like, but the sinner would approach the presence of God, wouldn't even look up to heaven and just say, God, be merciful. Would we be a people who would constantly come back to the foot of the cross saying, God, yes, I am fallen, I am weak, I am sinful, but you are gracious and you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And because of your grace, I believe that you're gonna set my feet on solid rock. And can I just say that this is a daily practice? This is a daily practice. It doesn't matter, again, how long you've been walking with the Lord. But each and every one of us has to come to this place where we recognize and we admit 
that our hearts are sinful and wicked. That's what we need to be. And to do that, we have to maintain a culture that values integrity and authenticity. We don't want to be a church. You don't want to be a home group where you're just like, oh, okay, we're not supposed to be that kind of Christian, so let's not talk about that. Let's not admit this struggle or that struggle. No, no. We want to value honesty and authenticity. We want to have integrity and character. Character is what you are when no one is looking. We want to be people filled with integrity and character. And so to have that this morning, I want to give us a warning and an invitation. Here's the warning when it comes to ministry. Don't confuse gifting with character. Let me say that again. Don't confuse gifting with character. I believe this is one of the biggest dangers in the church is that somebody has a gift, again, whether that's up front, maybe they're a dynamic small group leader, and we see someone's gift in this. Right? We like to applaud giftedness, right? And we say, wow, they must be super mature. They must be so godly. They must have godly character. They must just be like, we should use them all the time. And we should, can I just say this? And I've been guilty of that. We had a situation years ago in our church where we had someone in our worship team, super gifted, super talented, voice of an angel, unrepented sin in their life. So we address them on it. And they refused to acknowledge and confess and, and repent of their sin. They ended up stepping down. And more than that, they ended up leaving the church. People were upset. They're like, oh, the reason they left the church was because they weren't getting used. They weren't getting value. They weren't getting, did you not see their gift, their talent? Their way? It's like, no, there was sin. And we, again, we confused their gifting with maturity. And then sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, we put people up front too soon and they hear the praise and it's more than they can handle and it will crush them. It will crush them. And so we need to be careful to not confuse gifting with character. And even in our leadership, right, we need to evaluate people on the basis of their character before their gifting. Now, this doesn't just apply just to pastors, this doesn't just apply to elders, right, like that, or, or, or people in leadership positions. But you might be here this morning, and you might be thinking, man, I'm someone who has a lot of gifts in one particular area. Like, I'm, I'm pretty gifted here or there. Like, I'm a, I'm a dynamic, like, you know, kids ministry, you know, teacher or whatever and all of these things. Or you might have that um, and you want to grow and you want to be used. You're like, put me in, coach. Like, I'll show them. Can I just say this? <laughs> don't neglect your character. Don't neglect your character. I've, I've often said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Pursue growing your character before pursue growing your gift. Because if you don't, and all, if you just want to focus on your gift, and this is my gift, and this is my thing, and this is how the only way I serve the Lord, if you do that, overgrowing your character, you're only going to be built up in pride. And you're going to be sit there wondering, why am I not the one up there? Why am I not the one that they're picking? Why am I not the one that they're choosing? So the call this morning, church, is to pursue character and let that pursuit of growing your gifts flow out of that place. Now that's the warning. Here's the invitation. You ready for it? Let your ministry for God flow from your intimacy with God. Can I say that one more time? 
Let your ministry for God flow from intimacy with God. Because if we don't do this, we will end up serving God without knowing God. Can I just say that that's possible and scary all at the same time? That we could serve God without even knowing God and we will run around working hard, doing a bunch of things for God and then we get frustrated when our transactional relationship doesn't work out the way that we expected it to work out. But God, I've always done this for you. You owe me the limelight, right? Like I've always been faithful in this area. Like when is it my turn? So let your ministry for God flow from intimacy with God. Side note to that, can I say that it's through intimacy with God that, that we decipher what the ministry is we're supposed to do for God? This is where it comes from because we all have preconceived ideas, right? We're like, oh, I'm naturally, I'm naturally talented in this area. Therefore, God must use me like this, right? No, no, no. Intimacy with God will help decipher what the ministry you're supposed to do for God. It's like, it's like the difference between guessing what someone you love wants for a present versus knowing them well enough to understand their desires. We can understand God's purposes for our ministry only, first and foremost, through the intimacy of first knowing him. Knowing him. And so what we have to do is seek first and foremost God and his presence and his glory. I love that song that we opened the service with. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence. May that be what we seek first and foremost. Over your gift. Over your calling. Over whatever it is that you think that God is going to use and do in your life. Would you just seek the presence of God? the face of God. Would we be able to say, as the Apostle Paul would say, there's nothing that compares to knowing Christ, my Lord. There's nothing that compares. Not gift, not talent, not ability. Nothing compares than just having a relationship with Jesus. So let your ministry for God flow from intimacy with God. And so Paul defends his ministry. He says, hey, guys, we weren't religious hypocrites. But second, he says, nor did we distort the truth. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Now this idea here of adulterating the word of God means diluting it. Or distorting it. Saying, well, well, I'm reading the Bible and I see this. But, it, you know, it's kind of offensive to some people. So I'm going to water it down a little bit. Soften the edges a bit, right? It doesn't fit with the cultural narrative. And so I'm just going to change it. Or, or, hey, I'm reading this in the, in the Bible and it doesn't go with certain desires that I have and things that I want and ambitions that I have. And so I'm just going to kind of push that verse to the side and I'm going to embrace this other verse. Because this other verse, you know, really really motivates me and it kind of just puts the, a stamp of approval. And so we adulterate God's word. We water it down. And the thing that's dangerous that I want you to be aware of is this. This is not talking. Paul's not talking about an outright rejection of the truth. No, this is a distortion of the truth, which can I say is harder to spot and easier to do. And we see this in our culture. 
a distortion of the truth. It's like starting with that basic truth of like, God loves me, right? We all love that because why? Because it's true. God loves you and God loves me. But then it's taking that and saying, well, God loves me. And so therefore God wants me to be happy. And, and this thing that I do makes me happy. And so God is cool if I just keep doing it, even though it flies in the face of the Bible. It flies in the face of what his heart is for you, right? And we end up twisting God's word to fit what we want. And so we as believers have to be aware of this because there's going to be people in our lives and in our culture, in our world, that are going to outright reject the Bible, right? We see them time and time again. But what's going to be a stronger temptation even within the church is to twist the word of God and to conform it to our own beliefs, to our own desires, and to our own culture. And we have to be aware of this, a distortion of the truth. But we shouldn't be surprised by it. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I think it's easier to do this right now more than ever in the history of the world. You know why? It's because no matter what you believe this morning about God, about morality, about anything, you can spend five minutes on Google and you could get anyone to agree with you. You can find any, you can find a blogger, you can find a scientist, unfortunately, you can find whoever who will agree with the narrative that you want to write for your own life. And so it's easy, again, to find people who are going to say what you want them to say, to make you feel better about the things that you want to do. And so here you have Paul warning Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's warning the Corinthians of adulterating God's word. He says, we didn't water it down. We didn't soften the blow, right? We, didn't, we preached the truth. I proclaimed the gospel to you boldly. What did Paul write in Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Did you know, church, that we carry around with us every single day of our lives a message so powerful that it, will, it can change even the dirtiest, most rotten of sinners. We carry this message. Paul calls it the gospel, the power of God for salvation. And that's our call into the ministry. Right? Every single one of us, not just pastors, not just evangelists, right? Our call in the ministry is to introduce people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To give them an opportunity to respond to that message. To receive the forgiveness and grace of God. And that is an amazing calling, amen? So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a construction worker. That's your calling. It doesn't matter if you're a police officer. That's your calling. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. That's our calling. To bring people to this, this place where they can respond to the gospel message. And you think, man, that's an amazing calling, Pastor Ryan. And you might even think that it's an easy calling. You might be like, man, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Like, it's all about rainbows and butterflies and smooth waters. But can I just say this real quick? 
that with that calling, that calling to be proclaimers of the gospel, that it comes with many obstacles. I want you to know it's not all about rainbows and butterflies. It's not all about smooth waters. Paul would say, and I've, and I've said this the last few weeks, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, hey, there's been many doors of effective ministry open to me, but there's many adversaries. So when we pick up this mantle to be proclaimers of the gospel, whether at your, your work or in your family or in the local church, it comes with many obstacles. And here's the reality of, the, of ministry is that we are entering. When you want to say yes to Jesus, say, okay, I'm not, I'm not just going to be a Sunday follower. I'm not just going to be, you know, say one thing with my lips and live my life differently. No, I'm going to be all in for Jesus. The reality is this. We enter into a spiritual battle. Spiritual battle with many obstacles. Look at verses 3 through 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now when Paul's talking here of the God of this world, he's, he's referring to the devil, Satan himself. You think, why would, why would he call the devil a god and a god of this world? And we have to know and understand that the devil is a spiritual being who's pretty powerful. You think of 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And calling the devil the god of this world doesn't mean that he reigns over all. It simply means that he has authority over the fallen realm. He reigns over the fallen realm. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that not only is there a spiritual realm, but there is a, an intense spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that the, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Can I just say that the roaring lion doesn't just come on Mondays? The roaring lion doesn't just come Sundays after afternoon after you heard the word of God. No, the, the, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion every single day of our lives trying to destroy you, trying to pick you off. And when it comes to the spiritual realm, we have to be careful because a lot of people, even believers, they, we approach the spiritual realm um, in, a, in a wrong way. We think that there's somehow sort of neutral zone, neutral territory. God, the, the, the good force you know, of power is over here. We're in the middle. And, and, and Satan, the devil's over here with his, with his bad influences. But here's, according to the Bible, church, there is no neutral territory. There is no bat middle ground where we just have to decide, are we going to go over here on Sundays and then go over here on Mondays? You know what I mean? There is no neutral. You know what Jesus said? He said this in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. No neutral zone. God is the king who spoke creation into existence. He reigns over all. There's no yin and yang, right? There's no like, um, you know, Satan is, is the counterpart to God. No, God reigns over all, but Satan still deceived humanity. Satan is constantly trying to usurp the authority of God and establish his reign over the kingdom of darkness. And what Paul is saying is that the devil does this. He does his crafty work by blinding unbelievers to the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel. The Bible tells us, that, the, that the, the devil, Satan, is the father of lies. The Bible also says that the truth 
will set you free. So then it's lies that will lead you to bondage. Makes sense. And the devil wants to speak lies into your life. Maybe even right now, the devil's speaking lies. And maybe some of us, we don't even recognize it. The enemy's coming to you. Maybe, again, today he's came to you already. And he's starting to whisper in your ear, God doesn't really love you. Not after what you've done. Or, or he might be saying, hey, that's actually not sin. Like, you've had a long day. Like, you deserve it, right? It's okay for you. Or if you, if you just had that, you know, you would be really happy. That's why I put it on sale at Costco, right? It is going to bring you joy. <laughs> the enemy's whispering in your ear, if you just had this relationship or this job or, or more money or more security, then you would be satisfied. The enemy's whispering, maybe saying, you should run your own life. So he lies to us, and, and maybe even right now, he might be lying to you. Saying, hey, you know how your pastor's talking about ministry? Now, we all do ministry and serve the Lord and serve others. Well, you can't do ministry. I know what you've done. You know what you've done. You've disqualified yourself. Who are you to minister to others? If that's what the devil is speaking to you, whether today or before, that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And Satan doesn't come blaring these lies to us. No, because those would be obvious. He whispers them, he tempts us, he entices us, but he is set, church, on destroying your life. Destroying your life. He is writing checks that he cannot cash. He hates God, he hates the purposes of God in your life, and he will do whatever and anything to get you off track. And he's been doing this from the very beginning. This is his playbook. These are his schemes. You look at the, the beginning of the Bible where you find a gracious God, creator God, making man and woman in, in his own image, inviting them into his joy and to experience his glory and his presence. And then all of a sudden a serpent comes along and what did he, what did he say? What did he do? Did God really say? Again, this has always been the devil's tactic. Slander God's character by questioning his word. Slander God's character by questioning his word. And listen, there have been so many people that have been blinded by the God of this world. Your neighbors, potentially. Your co-workers. Hollywood, clearly, blinded by the God of this world. Have you ever asked yourself, like, why is it so important for Satan to keep blinding people? Have you ever asked, what is the big deal if school or if prayer happens at schools? Have you ever asked yourself, like, what is so wrong with having a Christian author give a lecture or a talk at a university or let alone a library? <laughs> You ever asked yourself, you want to know why? Here's why. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And this is why it's so important. So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. That's why. That's why it's a big deal, Right? Because Satan knows that if that Christian author reads to these young children, he's got a problem on his hands. 
He's got a problem because if the light of the gospel is seen by men, they would have no other choice but to just follow Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, people, the enemy uses tactics. And people can be blinded by their own giftings. That might be you this morning. You might be blinded by your own giftings. You might be blinded by your own past mistakes, blinded by your own morality, maybe your own popularity, whatever it is, right? It could be anything. Satan is going to use it to blind you to the light of the glory of Jesus. And so when we talk about ministry, we talk about serving and and our ministry as as believers to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we, we enter this spiritual battle. No wonder people just aren't quickly responding to the gospel of, yeah, sign me up. Why? Because the devil is there to lie to them on a constant basis. We're entering the spiritual battle. We're we're in real spiritual warfare. Why? For the souls of men. For the souls of men. Satan will work overtime on you and in you to stop you. And he does the same to me. And that's why Paul would start this chapter. He says, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. And what is the enemy trying to keep people from seeing again? Look at verse 4. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see, the gospel is the good news that salvation is found through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. It's the good news. The gospel is the good news that we have been reconciled to God, that our sins can be forgiven, our shame can be taken away, that we've been given a new life and a new purpose. And the devil does not want you to hear that. He doesn't want your neighbors to hear that. He doesn't want your kids to hear that. You have an unbelieving spouse. He doesn't want your unbelieving spouse to hear that. And he's going to work overtime on them to keep them in the dark. He wants to keep those blindfolds on your loved one on your neighbor, on your coworker. But are you grateful today that Jesus is the light of the world? We were in darkness, church. That's why when in Revelation it says that we've overcome, they, they will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The power of your testimony that you were once in darkness and God has brought you, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, into his marvelous light. You, he's brought from darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the world is a dark place. And yet God, in his grace, has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. That God is good. That God is is kind and he is merciful and he's slow to anger and God is just and he's holy and he's pure and he's loving. But listen, we wouldn't know any of that unless he revealed himself to us by grace. And the fullness of God's glory is revealed through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what people don't want to see. They don't want to see Jesus. The power of ministry. Look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. He says this, that this is where the power of ministry is, church. For we do not preach ourselves. Paul's taking here a posture of humility. 
Paul, Paul was equipped. He, he might not have been a, uh, an amazing orator, but he was, he was a smart man. He could have preached a lot of different things, but he says, we do not preach ourselves. You see, this posture of humility, humility is not beating yourself up. Humility is not obsessing on how bad you are. Humility is a byproduct of being captured by something greater. Let me say that one more time. Humility is a byproduct of, of being captured by something greater. So it, humility does not come from focusing on how bad you are. Humility comes from focusing on how great and grand and beautiful something else is. To the point where you stop even thinking about yourself. And Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. And so when we think of ministry, we have to know, church, that the, the answer to the world's greatest problem is not found in ourselves. Last week, Paul says we are inadequate. We're inadequate. Paul says, is that 1 Corinthians that I resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's where the power is. It's in the message. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not in ourselves. You're not your spouse's hope. You're not your child's hope. Jesus is. Jesus is. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So when Paul did present himself, this is how he did it. Not as Lord, not as master. He simply says, as your bondservant as Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake. So how are we to minister? How are you to, to minister? You know, when, when you, you know, in about 15 minutes when you go out to the kids' table and sign up for the summer's uh, teaching opportunities, right? How are you to minister? You're like, I'm ill-equipped for that. That's a good thing. Because we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all we are. We're just a conduit. The power is not in the vessel. The power is in Jesus. And as proclaimers, we take on this form of a bondservant. We walk in a place of humility. Some of you, you might want Jesus to use you in a particular area, and he has not opened the doors for you. You might be like, Jesus, but you've gifted Jesus. You've called Jesus. You've, you've, you've given me the, the, you know, just the desire. And Jesus, all of these things, and God has not opened the doors for you. Would you, the call for you, would you take the, the place of humility and say, Jesus, I'm going to set that all aside, and I'm going to humbly serve you so that others can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? You want to use me as a custodian, Jesus? I'll, 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 I'll serve unto you for the glory of God. And I pray that our church wouldn't just be known as a truth-proclaiming church. Oh, I pray that, that we never stop proclaiming the truth. But that we would also be known as a serving church. A serving church. church that lays down our lives, our desires, our dreams for the good of someone else so they can come to saving knowledge of Jesus. And serving isn't just something that you sign up for from time to time, though it is, like in 15 minutes when you go to the lobby. <laughs> That's the last one, I promise, okay? <laughs> serving is a way of life. It's a way of life. We want to be servants who serve, whether that's at our dinner table with our families, whether that's at the grocery store helping the old lady bring the cart in, whether that's at the office, right? Whether that's at the church. We serve. We want to live our lives as servants of Jesus because he 
came and served us, and we want to reflect him. Jesus served you. Jesus, Paul says in Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality of God something to be grasped, but made himself lowly, made himself of no reputation. There was a death to self. And some of you, maybe the call this morning is to die to yourself. Paul would say, I die daily. You're like, I died last week, die today. I died last year, no, die today. Die to your dreams, die to your desires, die to, die to your calling, your gifts, die to it all and say, Jesus, I want to serve you and I want to be faithful to you in the mundane, in the here and the now for his glory. So how do we proclaim, why do we proclaim and preach Christ as Lord? Look at verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul's saying that the light, the Lord, I should say, who created light in the physical realm is able to give you light and fill your heart with spiritual light. Even if you are blinded by the God of this age. Because the good news this morning is that Satan's work although of blinding, although great, God's work of bringing light is greater. Is greater. I think of the words of John Newton when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Now I want you to look at the second part of verse 6 where Paul says, The one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. This is, this is beautiful. This is, a, this is amazing. What, where is the glory of God revealed? The Bible tells us the glory of God is revealed in numerous variety of ways. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. So the psalmist is saying we can look at the heavens, we can look at the stars, and they proclaim the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us that creation reveals God and his might and his divinity, his power. So that means that you can stand before the mountains and you can see the glory of God. That means you can look at the ocean and you can see the glory of God. Pastor Josh and I, we were just in Southern California a couple days ago, and we were, went to Huntington Beach, and we had a couple hours before our flight took off, and he had never been to Huntington Beach, and then we traveled south a little bit to um, Pirate's Cove, to Corona Del Mar, where all the baptisms happened with the Jesus movement, and, um, and it was just, we were looking at the ocean, the little bay area, it's just like, man, the, the glory of God revealed in the ocean. The glory of God revealed in the mountains. The glory of God revealed in the stars. But what we're hearing from the Apostle Paul here is that there's one place where we ultimately see the glory of God. And he says it's in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about how beautiful this is. Last week I, I read uh, Exodus chapter 33 where Moses says, Please Lord, show me your glory. And God says, Okay Moses, I'll show you my glory, but you can't see my face. He says, it would be too much for you to bear. And so Moses is put in the cleft of the rock and God passes by where Moses only sees God from behind. And yet God, we know here, has shown his glory to us in the face of Jesus Christ. In the most intimate and personal of ways. Do you recognize how beautiful that is? That God has revealed himself to us? I mean, you can see the glory of God in all of his miracles. 
the parting of the Red Sea, the, the manna coming from heaven, water coming from a rock, but it is nothing compared to God's glory shown in the face of Christ. And this glory that he shows is good news because his light penetrates the darkness. And that's what we need. Amen. And he says, that's why he says in verse 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts. Has shown in our hearts. It affects the very core of who we are. We started off this morning by looking at verse 1. Talking about how Paul, his, his, just the aim with this passage was to encourage the weary. And just in closing, I want to read it one more time. He says, therefore, we have this ministry as we have received mercy. He says again, we do not lose heart. So he's saying to the Corinthians, he's saying to us that ministry can be hard. Serving God can be hard. And, and he's willing to acknowledge that. And so he knows that because of that, there's a temptation to lose heart. And I know that it can get dark for many of us. I know that some of you right now, you're in a very dark place. You look out at the world or your life and maybe the weeks to come and, and all you see is darkness. But I get to tell you the good news this morning is that light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. I want to remind you of the good news that no matter how hard life, ministry, Gets No matter what you find yourself going through, our hope is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That he's revealed himself to you. And that you're a child of God. He revealed himself to you. And that's why we can take heart. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'll close today by quoting an old hymn as Jessica and the, and the worship team come up. People have been singing this hymn for, for over a hundred years. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together.